Galatians chapter 4. I believe it is 974 in your pew Bible. Just a show of hands. How many of you would say that in your life you have had some kind of either personal, relational, um, medical, you name it, kind of catastrophic event? Catastrophic event. You've, I, I have been through and I've walked with different people in lives and, and I've discovered that sometimes these catastrophic events, whether it be an injury, a relational disconnect, uh, a, a moment of, dear Lord, what is going on in my heart and my life, that sometimes these catastrophic events kind of knock us off kilter, kind of knock us off balance. And we start wondering in those moments, what is real? What is real? And the confusion in those catastrophic kind of events can go so deep that it really unsettles our very identity and our worth and our sense of belonging. We begin to wonder, Lord, what is going on in this world? Do I belong here? Who am I? Do I really belong and so often in those times, what do we do? We start adding, you, you figure out, you start looking and go, add on top of that, you've, you've got this thing called our sinful nature, right? And we start wondering on top of that, besides the, oh my goodness, this catastrophic event, add on top of this, are, are the sin that is in our life. And we start wondering, who am I? Where do I belong? And so it's no surprise on top of that, that legalism can deeply attract us. Legalism, especially the kind that quotes the Bible, seems to offer a way to just get back on track. If you just do this, everything is going to be hunky-dory. Things are going to be perfect and nice and pretty. If you just do these things... But legalism, even if we are really, really good pros at being legalistic, it cannot heal our past. And it cannot guarantee our future. To get our sense of ourselves back, friends, we need nothing less than a fresh touch of God's grace. In Galatians 4, God tells us, who we are. He shows us our new identity through his eyes. The world knows nothing really of who you are, but if you put your trust in Jesus Christ, then God has set you apart to be his child. And then, then you know who you are. As you walk through this brutal world, during that time, understanding who you are, you can now face the world. So we're going to read Galatians chapter 4, 1 through 7, together. Please stand for the reading of God's Word. At the end of our reading, I'll say, this is the Word of the Lord, and you will say... Hear the word of the Lord. 
I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of this world, but, I love those words right there, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let me pray before we get started. Father God, you have given us your word as a grass withers, as a flower fades. Lord, we are reminded that even this life we live is a vapor, that even beauty is fleeting. When we, we will get old and we will die, our emotions will change, and the world gets crazier as the moment, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And we pray, Lord, that this morning that you will give us ears to hear, hearts to receive, wills to follow, this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So this morning in chapter 4, we see Paul is laying out two different categories. The two categories are slavery and sonship. Slavery and sonship. Each one is a complete self-understanding and a way to process reality. Is there a ring back behind me? As I'm... I'm I'm getting a little, yeah, okay, thanks. We're, we've got two categories. And these two categories are basically ways that we process our reality. I can see myself as a slave. I can see myself as a son. And here, but here is the surprising insight that should help us. Who we are depends not on who we think we are, but ultimately on who God is. God is more important for us than who we are for ourselves. Man, we we can be superfluous with our own identity. We can be okay with our okayness, our our own belongings. But here in Galatians chapter 4, God is saying, My purpose in the gospel is not that you, a disobedient slave, will finally become an obedient slave. That's not what God is saying. 
God is saying, listen, my purpose in the gospel is that you receive adoption as my beloved child. I want you to receive full-on adoption. The gospel is not God saying, what a sorry foot-dragging slave you have been your whole life. But here's the good news. My grace will make you a good slave. I'll write my law of slavery on your heart and you'll finally be good at slavery. You'll even like slavery. Friends, that is not the gospel. The gospel is God saying to you, you have failed so badly, we are going to just change the subject right here. I have a completely new arrangement for you. I have sent my son into the world not to punish the slaves, but to gather them in as a brand new family together through Jesus. And for his sake, I adopt you as my own child. I don't want you to be waiting on the family like a slave as they sit here and enjoy a feast. I am putting my family name on you. I am giving you a seat at the feast. I want you to start imagining that even as we come to the Lord's Supper, right? He has prepared a place for you. God is saying, listen, yes, you are a mess. But so are my other kids. Have you met him? In my family, my, my family is famous for foot fights, shooting spit wads at each other, and all sorts of other rowdy shenanigans. So here, I've got a perfect spot for you. Come, take your place at the table. Enjoy my feast of grace with all the other kids. Leave your slavery behind. Your narrative now, God is saying, your narrative of being an outsider, your fear that the hammer is about to fall, that whole mentality is not of my spirit. Cast those thoughts down. I am telling you now who you are. Your identity is here with me. Your place is with my family because you are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. So come, sit, rest, feast. You finally belong. So God is calling us to forsake that, that self-image of, of a slave and enjoy belonging to Belonging to the Father. Friends, we are justified by faith alone. Groveling before God does not make us any more worthy of forgiveness. Galatians 4 is telling us that we are God's dearly loved children by mere faith. The law has never reigned us in. So what did God do? He brought us in by the grace of adoption. So let's, I, I want us to think about this in, in kind of two steps. 
The first step is I, I kind of want us to stand back and look at this, this short paragraph at a kind of 10,000 foot view. And then what I want to do is I, I kind of want to drill down in our second step by looking at verses four and seven at the particulars. And I don't want to, I think the first step of pulling back and then the, the drawing in is really going to help us. So let's kind of step one. Let's, let's look at the whole. And there's three things that I want us to, to really see in this process. The first one is that all that God is, and as an English person, this kind of drives me having two is's together. I don't know if that's proper or improper English, but all that God is, is for us in all that we need. Is that proper English? If not, suck it up. <laughs> you, you see this here that in verse four, God sent forth his son. And then in verse 6, God sent the Spirit of His Son. Father, Son, Spirit, the whole of the triune God is for you. He is not against you. So He's not there to fill you with anxiety, but for you enter, to enter into your heart as only God can and to give you a settled confidence that you can face anything in this life. Let's never think of God as this kind of reluctant hold out while the son just tries to convince the father to love us. Sometimes we think that, ah, I'm just not worthy of it. And God is just kind of holding out until we perform a certain way. Where is that in the Bible? Think of John 3, 16, you know, that famous verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Jesus isn't trying to get God to take it easy on us. God sent forth his son for the work of redemption. And God sent forth the spirit of his son to assure us all that God is, is for us. For all that we need. All of God is for us. So that's the first thing. Second thing, we, we, we can see that God is reaching out to us in a very relevant way. Some people think that the church is irrelevant, and that we gotta kind of hip things up and be slick, sexy, get some, get some fog machines going, you know, get some lights going and everything like that, make it really relevant to our today's culture, the reality is the gospel is the most relevant thing out there. We think that we, we have to try to convince to get, get God to be involved in us, but the truth is quite the opposite. God is ultimately reaching out to us. Look at the two sendings that we see there in Scripture. Verse 4. God sent forth His Son. God sent forth the Spirit of His Son. The first divine sending brought Jesus into noble history here in our world. He becomes a place marker in time and in space. He is showing up in the flesh. He is a historical Jesus in the flesh, a real person. But the second sending brings the Holy Spirit personally into our lives, experientializing for us, to us, God's love at the very points where we think that God hates us. 
We need both of these sendings. If all we had was just the basic facts of history, how would we know that God loves us? And if all we had is just a a personal feeling, how could we know how big Jesus really is? But when we believe the facts of the gospel and and experience the power of the gospel, we can stand up with brand new dignity. We can face the world. We can rebuke our own ridiculousness that's found within us. We can know who God is and we can know who we are. The gospel is true because it really happened in history. And we know it's true for us as it happens to us today. The spirit of the son is within us and testifies the truthfulness of the gospel. It testifies to how much God loves us. God is reaching out to us at both levels. It's relevant. Third, we can see at this 10,000 foot view, the amazing grace of God accomplishes it all for us. Jesus was born under the law, right? We, We discussed that last week. He was born under the law to do all the obeying perfect obedience for us. We who have let God down time and time and time again can be confident with God now. Why? Because he receives us not by ignoring his law, but by rejoicing that Jesus perfectly obeyed the law on our behalf without bending his rules at all, without ignoring his conscience, without lowering God's God's own standards, God joyfully, joyfully adopts us in as his own children. It's all the grace of God. And we earn nothing. But we receive everything. So verses 1 to 3 survey just the whole sweep of the the Old Testament. Paul is explaining that what changed when, when Jesus came and overshadowed Moses. What changed was our place before God. Disobedient slaves were lifted by grace into full blown children. And that and that change in our place before God. That change in our own self-understanding is so astonishing that it's going to take some getting used to. Because it's easier to kind of go back to our legalistic ways of just performance, right? We literally need the Holy Spirit's help to believe it. So if you have put your faith in Jesus, here's what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. You are not a forgiven slave. You're an adopted child. Here are the three categories to understand ourselves now. Disobedient slaves, always getting into trouble. Forgiven slaves that aren't getting beaten. 
adopted children happily seated at the Father's table. Do you think that when you became a Christian that you were going to you were going from being a disobedient slave to a forgiven slave? That isn't what the Bible says. When you became a Christian, you left even your best successful slavery behind. God embraced you as his child because he felt that in some way, and don't take this too far, he almost felt like the family is incomplete without Randy. It's incomplete without Lisa. So now I, I need to bring them into my family. And you now stand to inherit all of his redemptive wealth that is found in Christ. However you have sinned. Some of you could give me quite a list. And we could probably make a mini-series out of your life and be quite shocked. However you have sinned, however you have been sinned against, some of you can tell some equal stories of I have been sinned deeply against. Know this, in the Father's house above, you will forever be at home. And verse seven says that we are heirs, heirs through God. That is, in other words, God underwrites and verifies and says, this is all good. Our future is secure. It is secure. It's as secure as the very existence of God himself. So that's the 10,000 foot view. Now let's kind of go a little bit more phrase by phrase. Let's look carefully at verses four through seven. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his spirit or his son. By the time that Jesus had arrived some 2,000 years ago, a lot of stuff had happened. But just at the right time, the love of God exploded onto the scene. What had happened long before? What took so long? We, we had, as we've seen, God, God had restarted the human race through, through Abraham. He made all of these beautiful promises to Abraham. I'll be a God to you and to your children, to your great grandchildren. For as long as it goes, I'll be your God. And then we see how God rescues his people from Egypt, constitutes them into a new nation in their own right. And on their way to Canaan, God defined for them a new human culture by his law on Mount Sinai. The Ten Commandments that I read earlier, the Ten Commandments give us give so much to admire. But how many of you have ever gotten beyond you shall not steal. None of you. If everyone in the world just obeyed one commandment for just 24 hours, it would get on the news. It would, we, we are, folks, we are lawbreakers to the bone. We can even purify 
if that's a word, purify our, our sin with uh, decent outward appearance, appearances, can't we? And that's what Paul means by these elementary principles of the world. He, he, he's basically, he's talking about the basic moralism of, of our world. Watch cable news. Look at the self-help section in the bookstores. Look, listen to the preachers with their five, five simple steps to a better you. This is the basic mentality of this world, which Paul calls the elementary principles of this world. And there's a place for handy tips. But here is what our world does not believe. Deep down, we are all depraved. In Psalm 51, David looked at what he had done, his act of adultery. and, and, And what did he use in Psalm 51 to describe it? Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil, evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Evil is why in the Old Testament, God's own people experienced his, his, his law as slavery. The law is noble. It is good. It is good for your soul. But our, our hearts, our, our, our DNA is so evil. We experience nobility as demeaning. Man, I did it. I was a teenager once. And I have a, had a great dad. But I also felt imprisoned. So it's no surprise to us how the Old Testament story played out. God's people perceiving him as their worst nightmare, refusing him time and time again, suffered for it time and time again, even so much that they began to pray, how long, O Lord? So what did God do? In the fullness of time, it's almost as if time was pregnant. In the fullness of time, when God could have sent everybody to hell, what did God do? God sent forth his son. He didn't add more law. He added more love. And this son was born of a woman and born under the law. We learn two things here about the son. One, he became Truly human, like every one of us, born of a woman, born of a woman. So Jesus is not a 50-50 being. He's not like half man, half God. He is fully God and fully man. Martin Luther understood this, and he said that, that the true Christian religion does not begin at the top as all other religions do, but it begins at the bottom. You must run directly to the manger in the woman's womb and embrace this infant and virgin child in your arms and look at him, born, being nursed, growing up. The gospel doesn't begin with us where we ought to be. 
It begins with us where we are. God came all the way down. He came all the way down to our level. The only way that he wasn't like us was that he was totally, completely without any sin, which means that he was more human than we are. That's the other thing we learn about Jesus here. He was born under the law. And it means that he obeyed his father. If we want to know what the Ten Commandments are are talking about, look no further than Jesus. And if we want to know what our violation of the Ten Commandments deserve, look no further than to Jesus. He lived the perfect life underneath the law for us. He died an atoning death under the law for us. Jesus provided everything required of us and Jesus removed everything damning to us. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. But it goes on. Why? To redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. The key word there, if you're a a circler, a highlighter, to redeem. It means that Jesus bought us out of our misery and out of our slavery. One translation reads, God sent his son to buy freedom for those who were under the law. The point is, it wasn't easy. It wasn't cheap. Our salvation is is by grace towards us. It cost him, and it was not cheap. He paid for our failure, and he paid it in full. So when we say, sing the song, Jesus paid it all, it's completely, fully. That is how God gave us adoption. Sending his redeeming son was the length that God went to to bring us in. He gave his all so that we may have it all. God changed our relationship with him from being a constant threat of, to ultimately total belonging. It is all about his grace. And there comes a time, friends, when we grow up enough to stop reacting to our legalistic upbringing. Some of us grew up in homes and churches that were hard in us, that were just wrong. It's all about behavior. Do this, do this, do this, do this, do this. And resenting that might make make sense after a while. But there comes a time when we, we let go and we rejoice in what God has done for us. The Father is thrilled. I, you need to hear this. The Father is thrilled that we are with Him now. We need to let His heart set the tone for our lives. And it goes on. And because you are sons, you've been adopted, you've been redeemed. Because you are His sons, God sent forth 
the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So God sent his son into history. That's a, that's a historical solid fact. And God sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts as a living experience. And we are not pursuing God. He is pursuing us with all that he has. He's pers- God, I love that picture. God is pursuing you. God not only loves, he wants us to know that he loves us. God is leading us on this journey into more and more of his love for for those undeserving whose hearts, apart from the touch of his grace, are stone dead. And God has put dignity on us because you are sons. Our identity isn't forgiven rebels against a king, but we are fully accepted children of the Father. We don't, we aren't here wringing our hands in anxiety, but we open our hearts with assurance because we are children of the Father. So how does God tell us so? He sends the spirit of his son into our hearts. So God brings his love into our experience and it is all seen throughout the Bible. Psalm 35, David prayed to God, say to my soul, I am your salvation. Jesus in in uh, John 10, 27 says, my sheep, Hear my voice. And Paul said in Romans 8, the Spirit himself himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So if you aren't aren't happy, if you aren't satisfied with your, your experience with God, trust him. Say, stay open to him. Don't trifle with him. Sit on the edge of your seat for a change. Ask him to move, remove whatever stands in the way. And if you are the kind of person who says, man, I I just don't have a personality for that. My question is, will you have that personality in heaven? Don't limit God to your personality. Let God stretch your personality. Ask him to deal with you in a brand new way. It's like this. If you're walking through life with your father, walking hand in hand, and you're being faithful and and he's being kind, but suddenly God turns to you, he picks you up, he hugs you, and tells you of his great love for you, and then puts you down and you walk, walk on together, I'm going to tell you it's better than before. Where are you going? Dad hugged me. Some of you, I don't know, may have never got hugged by your dad. Never gotten kissed by your dad. Never been loved on, lavished on. Tears of joy, tears of sadness. God's, God's love for you 
is exponentially greater than that. God is no longer distant. He's real. And you can never be the same again. You've experienced the living God, not as a terror, but as your own dear one. And when God tells you he loves you, it doesn't matter what other people say. The prejudices of this world, the exclusion, the violence, what is that compared to the love of our Father? And this is the whole point of Christianity. Jesus did not come and the Holy Spirit does not move just to get you out of hell. It's not just fire insurance. God sent forth his son and God sends forth the spirit to kiss your heart with his presence and his love. And he has only just begun. Here's how amazing this is. By the spirit of his son, God gives us a taste of the very experience of God that Jesus had. How did Jesus pray in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you remember? He cried out and said, Abba, Father. So when everything was against him, what did Jesus do? He clung to his Father. Now the Spirit of the Son is experientializing to us today his confidence in God back then. I love the simplicity of this prayer. Abba, Father, Daddy. There isn't a hint of pompicity to it. It's the cry of a child. It's even a cry of pain. It's a fervent cry. There's not an ounce of pathetic, nominal Christianity in there. It's not flippant. In fact, it's the heart crying out in confidence. Father, Dad, hear me. So the Holy Spirit entering our lives with the real experience of God. His love comes to us in various degrees and in various ways. There's no one size fits all kind of method with God. But as John Wesley said so long ago, our hearts are strangely warmed because God's heart is warm towards us. So my friends, has God sent the spirit of his son to you? If he has, then give yourself permission to enjoy your new identity as his child. You could not be more loved. Now, believe it. And go face life with that confidence that I am loved deeply and dearly by God. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. But if God has not sent the spirit of his son into your heart and you're having questions this morning, know this, he can. Nothing in you can stop God's sovereign spirit. Do you see that word in in verse, verse five? The word is receive so that we might receive adoption 
as sons. Friend, today might be your fullness of time to receive adoption. Will you right now receive the love of God that is found in Christ Jesus? And if you are thinking, who am I to receive him? You have a point. But who are you to reject him? Let's pray.